All right, Kevin, today we are doing the 1987 season. Now, if my memory serves me correctly, this is the first season that you started covering the Saints. Is that right? First season. I think if my if my memory if memory serves, there was like maybe one game in 86 that I went to, maybe two. But it was the first year where I, I just started going on a regular basis, yes. So you were, do you it feel was, like you were like a good luck charm it or was, something? Well, it was exciting for sure. So let's do a little bit of history of how we got to where we are in 1987. The team had never had a winning season before 1987. And in 1984, Saints owner John Meekham announced he was putting the team up for sale. Speculation was that a new owner might move the Saints out of New Orleans. Rumor had it it was going to be Jacksonville. Were you concerned in 84 that the Saints may move to Jacksonville or did you think they would get it done? I was more concerned then than I was after Katrina. But still, I, I always, I don't know. You just, you know how some people, like, you just try to not deal with, like, when you hear news that bad, you're like, I'm just going to block it out. That's yeah. kind of how I deal with it. Like, I remember after Katrina, oh, they're going to move to San Antonio. San Antonio. I just don't believe it. I just don't believe there's any way that's going to happen. And so, I would, I, my memory is I was a little more worried than I was after Katrina, but not, like, deathly worried, no. Obviously, that didn't happen. And on May 31st, New Orleans businessman Tom Benson came to an agreement to buy the Saints from Meekum and keep the team in New Orleans. I'm sure we're going to do a Tom Benson episode later on. But this is obviously great news in 1985 when you find out that this happened. A absolutely. And, you know, some people got real upset with Benson because of everything supposedly after Katrina. But, look, the man saved us, saved it, kept it in the state. Not only did he do that, he, you know, assembled a pretty good – like, if you, if, if you said that the Saints started their franchise in 1985, they've been pretty good. Yeah. I mean, other than the three Dicka years right. – They've been pretty good, right? You know, they they you know they got a little bad there when Moore left, but it still wasn't really bad. I mean, they were going like seven and nine, yeah. you know. Other than the three Ditka years, they've been very good since Benson bought the team. So I certainly appreciate it. That's kind of why I went back to the Benson thing, yeah, because it seems like that's where it started. The kind of like cultivating of winning, kind of leaving the everything behind. The old regime started with Benson Absolutely. in '85. The '85 season wasn't that great. They finished five and eleven. And Bum Phillips, who was the head coach and general manager at the time, resigned four, with four games left in the season. With Bum's resignation also came the resignation of Pat Pepler, the Saints' director of football operations. Was Pat Pepler just a figurehead, or did he have any bearing? Well, I don't. I can't. I can't really say how much he did or not did. But I mean, the average Saints fan never talked about Pat Pepler. You know, it was just. So I, it's hard to say. I, I don't. I didn't really have an, an impression there. Well, Bum and Pepler are now out. Let's open the door for Benson to make some big moves. He hires Jim Finks first, who we've talked about in our Dome Patrol episode. Be sure to check that out if you want. Jim Finks comes in to be the general manager. Finks was part of those Vikings teams that went to four Super Bowls in the 70s. He was a key part of building that 1985 Bears team. Finks' first move was to hire Jim Mora. So Finks and Mora come in in 1986. We have a new owner, a new GM, a new coach. There certainly had to be a feeling that this could be something special that was happening. It was exciting. Now, again, I was a little behind there because I didn't really watch the USFL. I mean, I knew who Jim Mora was because they had won and he was successful. I probably saw some highlights, but I have no memory of ever watching a USFL game. Mm -hmm. I didn't really watch his teams or have a real good idea what they did. I mean, I was a Saints fan, an NFL fan. I, I didn't really – I never had any interest in the USFL. So. Right. So I didn't really, really know what to expect, but, you know, we found out pretty quickly. 
as far as the players that were on that 87 season, the ones that we all know, they were all there in 86. Bobby Ebert, Dalton Hilliard, Eric Martin, Hobie Brenner, the entire Dome Patrol was there in 86. All of them were there with Mora. Saints go 7-9 and nine in 86. But what did you see in 86 that was maybe an indication of Morva's way of doing things that could possibly work in later on in the later years? Well, you could see that they played good defense. And again, they lost. My, mem- my biggest memory of 86, they had back-to-back games against the Dolphins and the Patriots. They lost. They had leads in both of them in the fourth quarter. In the uh, Dolphin game, uh, Ruben had a great game. Ruben Mays, it was his rookie year. I don't remember how many. He probably rushed for like 170, 180 yards. It was something like that. It was a lot of yards. And, but he fumbled at like the four-yard line going in. And that, and that basically lost the game. And they lost, I think it was 31-27. And then they had a 13-point lead in the fourth quarter against the Patriots, and they had like a block punt. And Moises Tatupu scored, and one of the great names in NFL history. And so they lost that game at the very end. So they lost back-to-back games, both at home, to two teams from the AFC East. And, you know, the Patriots were the Super Bowl team the year before that. And the Dolphins were, you know, Marino was – just getting going pretty early on in his career and they could have won but they didn't and then they went seven and nine and I remember they 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 did caravans back then they did them for quite a while after that and I remember interviewing Jim Moore and kind of just off the record a little bit I remember him saying man I've never seen people so excited to have a losing season before (laughs) because you know he was like he wasn't pleased with seven and nine you know but you could tell, even though they went seven and nine, they easily could have had a winning season. And they, you could tell they were doing a lot of things right. And he said, "Man, never." I still remember this day. Like, he looked at me. He said, "Man, I can't. I never seen people so excited to have a losing season before." <laughs> I'm like, Coach, you don't get. It's been pretty bad around here, yeah. you know, for a while. And so, um, no, you could see that something special was gonna happen. So let's get to the 86 offseason, right before the 87 season, namely the 1987 NFL draft. A lot of people think the Saints' first-round pick in 87 was their worst pick in history. They picked 11th in that draft. And you mentioned before you were hoping that we would get Rod Woodson in that draft. He went one pick before the Saints at number 10 of the Steelers. And Rod Woodson ended up with a Hall of Fame career. The Saints took Sean Knight, defensive tackle from BYU. In Knight's senior year at BYU, he recorded 16 sacks. I know in hindsight – we know that night didn't really work out. But, I mean, 16 sacks, that's pretty good. What were you thinking when they picked it? It is. I mean, I didn't know much about him. Never really, you know, watched him play in college. He wasn't like a big household name kind of guy. And then, again, a few years later they picked – now, he was a little bit more, but they picked Wayne Morton, and he worked out great. He was kind of a defensive lineman that wasn't really a household name that a lot of people were talking about. It was, it was you know, it was an awful pick. And they ended up trading for Ted Gregory. He went to the yeah. Broncos and – he didn't do anything, and, you know, it was just awful. Now, what saved him was that the 86 draft was great. It was a great draft. They got Swilling and Reuben Mays and Dalton Hilliard and uh, one or two other guys who played a huge role. And the rest of that 87 draft was not that bad. It's right. just the first-round pick was terrible. Right. So, Sean Knight, his career in three NFL seasons, he played one with the Saints, one with the Broncos, and one with the Cardinals. He played in only 31 games. He had one career start. In those 31 games, he recorded exactly one stat, a fumble recovery in his last season with the Cardinals. He had zero career tackles, zero career sacks. That's the definition of a bust of there ever was. I mean, you could argue that him and Jonathan Sullivan 
what was that, 25 years later yeah. or whatever, 15 years later, when when they when the Saints traded up to get him, I mean, he didn't do anything either. Right. I mean, just too awful. To, for the most part, the Saints have been pretty good at picking offensive, you know, line of scrimmage people, offensive line, defensive line. Yeah. But those are two very noticeable, notable exceptions. I mean, they didn't even record a tackle. That's just amazing. Just awful. All right, go back to the 86 draft. Okay. They got Jim Dabrowski first, who was a huge part of the offensive line and the whole Jim Moore. Dalton Hilliard, who we're going to about to talk a lot about, um, Ruben Mays, who we're about to talk a lot about, Pat Swilling, who was the third round pick. Uh, other third round pick was Barry Word, who scored some in this '87 season. Ended up having a really nice career. Had some really nice seasons with the Chiefs. Reggie Sutton was a fifth round pick who made the team. Who we're going to talk about, and Gil Finnerty made the team. We won't talk much about him, but he did make the team as a seventh round pick. That was really good. And then. In that 87 draft, the second round pick was Hill. He ended up being a pretty good wide receiver. Uh, those of us who are older, his dad, J.D. Hill, played wide receiver for the for the Bills, played with the juice in him in, in, in the 70s. Michael Adams was started some but was mostly a backup but made the team, and we'll talk about him shortly. And Steve Trapillo was an offensive starting offensive guard. He did very well, played with him. Milton Mack was – Mostly a backup and a special teams player, but made the team and was with the team for a while. And then Gene Atkins was an outstanding, arguably the best safety in Saints history. Yeah. And was also a pretty good return guy. They got him in the seventh round, and then in the eighth round, they got Toy Cook. So that was a good draft. I mean, you get, uh, what, one, two, three, four, five, six guys in a draft that played a key role in making some playoff teams. Yeah. Combine that with the 86 draft. Yeah. That, that's a, you know, so that's why they were able to overcome. Just that awful first-round pick. Now, I don't have this 1987 draft in front of me. Maybe we can go back and look at a couple guys. And maybe they'd have been even better had they hit on a big-time first-round pick right there. But overall, I mean, you're talking about two drafts in 86, 87, where you got a lot of guys that helped, that helped your team win over the next, you know, say, eight years. The only guys in the first round that made the Pro Bowl were Chris Miller, quarterback for the Falcons. Hayward Jeffries got drafted by the Oilers, number 20. Harris Later played for the Saints. Harris Barton got drafted by the Cheaters. Uh. Bruce Armstrong got drafted by the Patriots. And Jim Harbaugh got drafted by the Bears, number 26. Overall. So that was just a bad draft. That was the Pro Bowlers that got drafted after Sean Knight. The Pro Bowlers that got drafted before him, Vinny Testaverde, Cornelius Bennett were one and two. Brent Fullwood. With the, he wasn't that good. Jerome Brown with the Eagles. Shane he Collin with the Bills. And then, and then Rod Woodson was a Hall of Famer. So Woodson and Brown were great players. The rest of those guys were not great. Players. John Bosa was drafted in that draft, who's Nick and Joey Bosa's wow. dad. He wow. was drafted right after Sean Knight. That has nothing to do with <laughs> right. what we're talking about. So let's get to the beginning of the season. The season opens up in week one against Cleveland. The Browns are coming off the 1986 season where they had just fell victim to the drive. The John Elway's 98-yard drive with five minutes to go to tie the game. Broncos win in regulation. Any thoughts on that game and that drive? Well, I remember where I was. I was covering the Cajun basketball. I watched that at a, at a Holiday Inn in Ruston. We were covering the Cajun <laughs> game that night, and I remember watching the drive at the, at the, at the hotel, the Holiday Inn in Ruston. Yeah. It, was there any thought at the time that this was just going to be this thing that we're still talking about today, the drive? or was it No. Just, it, didn't, it didn't really feel No, but it was a great game. Yeah. So the Browns were really good in that era, of course. They won the AFC Central two years in a row, and Jim Moore was interviewed before the season, and, and this is what he said. This team, talking about the Saints, this team had only three wins in season openers in their first 20 years. This team needs to win. It's not going to kill us if we lose to them, but if we beat them, I think it will mean we are a good football team this year, and I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of team 
we are going to be. So was that was that kind of echo the feeling about what we thought? It was. Said? Yeah, it was. It, it was. It, yes. And it was such irony because you and I have talked about this many times. The Cleveland Browns owned the New Orleans Saints. Now, the Cleveland Browns, you could argue, and I don't know that it's much of an argument, that this Cleveland Brown team was the best Cleveland Brown team the Saints ever played. Mm-hmm. I mean, this team was good. They were 12, you know, the they were 12 and 4 the year before. Right. Probably should have went to the Super Bowl, but they they didn't. This Saints team, you know, were was coming off a 7 and 9 season, but we just talked about how there were a lot of good things and they beat them. I mean, the Saints are 5 and 13 all time against the Cleveland Browns, and one of those five wins was against the best Cleveland Brown team they ever played, which is this 20 I remember being there. It was it was exciting. The defense was great. They had four sacks in the fourth quarter two of them for safeties yeah. on Bernie Kosar and and you know it was just an, a great illustration of what the defense could do Reuben Mays ran for 147 yards in that game and it was already his 700 yard season that's how good this guy was if he wouldn't have got injured and, and you know he could have had a really nice career but he had some major injuries yeah let's get back to that game uh with the with the Browns the, the Saints start with a touchdown to Hobie Brenner a uh, beautiful pass in the in the corner, and then we get down to uh, get down to the end of the game, and you, like you said, the Saints get four sacks in the fourth quarter, two safeties. I mean, Incredible. it's unbelievable, and then and, and, and end up winning the game. 26-20. You know how they always say the dome was rocking. Yeah. The dome was rocking. <laughs> it was loud when they got them safeties against Ber- little Bernie Kosar. That was funny. Who was very unathletic, by the way. The next game we go to Philly and lose to the Eagles. What do you remember about that that second? Well, game? the next game was. Very unique. I mean, obviously, the Eagles were the NFC from the mid '80s to like '90, right when the Saint when Jim Moore left, was really good. The Eagles were really good on defense and had some good play. You know, Randall Cunningham was an exciting player, and they, and then in the early '90s, you know, they had some great defensive players. The Redskins were really good. I mean, the Cowboys were about to be really good. Um, the 49ers, Cheaters were really good. The Giants were really good. I mean, the NFC was just dominating back then. The Eagles team was good. And in this 1987 season, this is the only game where the Saints kind of got out sainted. It's the only game out of the 15 where they didn't win time of possession. And they didn't come close to winning time of possession. I mean, the Eagles dominated time of possession in that game. And in every game the rest of the year, the Saints won the time of possession. It was the only game that the Saints didn't have at least 30 minutes of time of possession. And in every other game, they had 30 minutes or over, which means they won the time of possession. Right. And, and once again, did you hear what you said on the first one? Uh, Hobie Brenner caught a touchdown. John Tice, the other tight end, who was a little bit less of a blocker and a little bit more of a receiver. Mm-hmm. Neither one were like, you know, Kellen Winslow or right. anything. But a but little bit more of a receiver. But he had 64 yards and two touchdowns. So you could the tight ends were a huge part yeah. of the Saints passing game in that era. Brenner actually had two touchdowns in that Browns game. So Brenner had two in the Browns game and Tice had two in the Eagles game. So this takes us to week three. And we can't talk about 87 without mentioning the NFL Players Association player strike. Well, there was no week three. There was no week three, right. right. The league and the NFL Players Association were unable to come to terms on a new collective bargaining agreement by the end of August. The players had authorized a strike that began on September 22nd, just after the end of week two. The strike was the second in the last six years for the NFL. It lasted 24 days, and it wiped out the Saints' week three game against the Falcons. Well, the Falcons were terrible that year, so that would have been a win. So I remember thinking, wait a minute, I really think we got a good team here. 
and you you got to be kidding me. Right. Like we've been waiting for this for how long? Like we think you got a good defense. We got some good young running backs. I mean, Dalton Hillier was good. Ruben Mays is good. I know we lost to Philly, you know, and that, but that was on the road. It was pretty obvious the Saints were going to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I, I just remember thinking, you have got to be kidding me. Like you, this better not last long, right? Because I think the Saints are good. I mean, that sickening. And then the and then the scab games came, and I'm like, whoa, this Saints sap team is pretty good. <laughs> If they want to keep striking, that's okay. We're going to beat people. The Saints were led by John Forcade in those three replacement games. And Forcade was from Gretna. He played his college football at Ole Miss. And at the time that he was called to be the replacement, he was actually coaching football at John Arrett. He coached uh, Cordell Stewart, who went to John Arrett. So we know that they ended up what they ended up doing. But John Forcade, was that a name that was even on your radar or anything like that? Oh, well, we certainly knew about him. He was an exciting quarterback at Ole Miss. A guy that could run a little bit and throw, kind of make – Kind of, kind of a guy who made broken plays, you know, work. You know, obviously, I didn't, I did, didn't want him then to be the Saints' regular quarterback or now. But I was, you know, I think the Saints did a good job. They got a lot of Louisiana-based players who had tried out for NFL teams and not made it, and and did pretty good. In addition to all that, five Saints regular players crossed the lines, and I don't know. Would the I don't know if that was the most, but I can't believe there were many teams that had many more than five players cross the line. And the Saints didn't just have five players cross the line. They had five good players right. cross the line. Eric Martin crossed the line. Reggie Sutton, who was a struggle with, with, with drugs, but was a big play defensive back out of Miami mm-hmm. that played with, you know, Steve Walsh and all them that Miami group. Michael Adams, who we talked about in the draft just now. Uh, Bruce Clark, who was a big-time defensive tackle from from Penn State, and Tony Ellett, who also was a very good defensive tackle, played at North Texas. So, you know, they had two stalwarts on the defensive line who could really stop the run and get out the passer a little bit. And then you had uh, two playmaking defensive linemen and your best receiver. That's a lot to cross the line. The Saints were had good scab team, really good. Their decision to cross the line, you think it played anything played into it as far as hey, we have a good team here and we want to play, or do you think it was all just financial for some of these guys? Yeah, I tried to look that up when we talked about doing this, and I could never find any quotes from them. Now, I did get quotes from other people. I found quotes from other, like Danny White. I didn't even remember all this, but apparently he had some business that was in debt. He's like, cat, I can't be <laughs> I can't be giving up 45000 That's what his paycheck was again, 45000 yeah. can't be giving that up. I'm already hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. So some people... You know, they did it for their own financial viability. Right. I mean, you can't hardly blame them. But, of course, it was ugly. I mean, a lot yeah. of them did blame them. Yes. I'm surprised that uh, Eric Martin and these guys were, were – of course, Tony Ellett wasn't someone you wanted to mess with. <laughs> he was huge and crazy. Yeah. So you didn't want to mess with Tony Elliott. But I'm surprised the other ones kind of came out of it. I'm sure there were some uncomfortable moments when the regulars came back. So it's week four, and the Saints are playing the Rams. They beat the Rams 37-10. 4K has a great 82-yard pass to Mike Waters. The Saints go 2-1 and one in their replacement games against the Rams, Cardinals, and Bears. And there's some scenes that I found on YouTube of Saints fans just chanting, stay on strike, and the Superdome's going crazy, and everybody was just thinking this scab team is pretty good. And you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier. They're really you know? good, and, and they should have been 3-0. and We're about to talk about that stupid loss. I mean, it was just a stupid loss. Um, and, you know, they weren't even close. And I remember being angry, playing the Rams. They were up 37-3 in that game. I mean, it was total domination. And one of the things that was interesting 
was how it may at the time I remember thinking, man, this coaching staff might be pretty good. Cause like they get this scab team, and in two weeks they had them pretty good. And that in that very first scab game, the Saints were fourteen out of eighteen on third down conversions. Now maybe the Rams defense was just that bad, cause some of the teams were really bad. Right. But also shows a decent level of execution to be able to go fourteen out of eighteen in third in third down conversions. The other thing that I remember that game. Well, first of all, Mike Lansford was still kicking. He was the guy who kicked a field goal in 83 that right. broke our hearts. So it was nice crushing his face. The other thing is, midway through the fourth quarter, the Saints were crushing them, and they turned the game off. I'm like, wait a minute. You know all the blowouts that I had to endure all my life, and now you, I'm blowing this little team out, and you want to turn the game <laughs> to something else? Oh, I, didn't, I remember I was really hot about that. That, was, that, was, that did not make me happy. Well, since you mentioned the coaching staff, let's briefly go through the coaching staff. The offensive coordinator was Carl Smith, running backs coach Jim Skipper, wide receiver was Steve Walters. The offensive line coach was Paul Boudreaux. Paul Boudreaux, is he a local guy? Or? No, but Carl Smith came to UL to, to then USL in the seventies as a defensive line coach. He later coached the secondary for the for the Cajuns. He came as a defensive coach and coached defense and then he ended up moving to offense and uh, he was a California guy. I don't know what his connection was from down here, although Augie Tamarello was from Colorado, so that wasn't, uh, I guess, there it, it came from. But, yeah, Carl Smith was a defensive coach for the, for the Cajuns <laughs> in the 70s and was then was the Saints offensive coordinator, and he was very unpopular. You know, I, I don't think he's as quite as bad as, as a, lot of, a lot of people remember because, again, the time of possession, and we're going to talk about it as we go on here. The Saints had a what I call, I, I harp now a lot on about team, team, team. And and we're going to talk about, as as we go from game to game, and point out how team-oriented this team was. And, and his offense, controlling the clock every game except for one, was a huge part of all that. The defense was obviously a big part of these teams. We talked about it in our Dome Patrol episode, but we'll go through the defensive coaches. The coordinator, defensive coordinator was Steve Sidwell. The defensive line coach was John Peace. The linebackers coach was Vic Fangio, and the defensive backs coach was Dom Capers. So they got some big names on that yeah, side. Yeah, Dom Capers ended up, it was King Benedict. He ended up taking um, everyone in, on the exodus up to, to Orneville, Charlotte, North Carolina, and, 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 and then he took Vic Fangio with him. And Vic Fangio obviously was became a very good defensive coordinator. He's now the head coach of the Broncos, kind of full circle in yeah. my household. Joe Marciano was the special teams coach. How was the Saints special teams coach Ooh. in 87? outstanding and we're about to get to that I mean I mean they were really good really good that was the worst thing about the um the the beginning of the uh Sean Payton era the special teams were so bad for so long and I still don't understand why they kept the special teams coach so long but no the Saints were outstanding in special teams that year and that played a huge role in uh in their season so they won the first scab game, as they were referred to. The Saints are now 2-1. and one. They go to St. Louis to play the Cardinals and lose that game 24-19. What do you remember about that game? Oh, I remember total frustration. It, it was one of the – I think about it fairly often. How can you just completely dominate a game and lose? And that was one of the examples. I still, to this day, when I think about a team just completely dominating a team, I think of this scab game at St. Louis. Listen to this. The Saints had 30 first downs. The Cardinals had nine. The Saints had 213 yards rushing to 139. The Saints had 155 yards passing to four. The Cardinals threw in an NFL game, even though it was a scab game, threw for four yards. It had four yards 
passing in the game and nine first downs to 30 for the Saints. The Saints were 12 of 18 on third down. They did everything except lose. Dwight Beverly from Illinois was their, one of their scab running backs. He rushed for 137 yards and two touchdowns. Eric Morton had 101 yards and a touchdown, and they lost. They lost. <laughs> like, they completely dominated. Why did they lose? The Cardinals had a 77-yard fumble return for a touchdown mm-hmm. and a 29-yard fumble return for a touchdown. And, and that's how they scored 14 of their 24 points. And somehow the Saints only scored 19 points, even though they had 31st down. Really, it was one of the biggest domination games in Saint history in which they lost. So they had no business losing that game. I'm telling you, the Saints might have won the Super Bowl. Had, we, <laughs> had the scab teams gone all the way through, the Saints might have won the Super Bowl that year. Yeah, they were. I think their scab team was that good. It was good. In fact, I was like, stay away if you want to yeah. stay away. We got a, we got us a good scab team. That was a common sentiment back then for sure. Um, the next game, they go at Chicago, and they beat the Bears 19-17. to They didn't dominate as much. Florian Kemp, who had been in the NFL, one of these weird kind of kickers. He, he, I didn't like the way he kicked. But anyway, he made four field goals in that game. And they didn't totally dominate that game like the other games. The, the first two scab games, their offense didn't do very good, but it was it was, it was in Chicago, and the Bears, I guess, still played pretty good defense. And, of course, you know who one of the quarterbacks was for the Bears in that game. Sean Payton was really? a quarterback for the Chicago Bears in that game. Okay. Now, he wasn't the starter. He was the backup, but he did play in the okay. game. He was, um, you know, he crossed the line, and, and he went to Eastern Illinois with Tony Romo and – and then went and um, and he was he played against the Saints in that game. I'm sure he had he remembers that. But gets questioned <laughs> about that quite often. All right, so now the Saints are three and two, and we get the regular players back. So the regular players are coming back just in time to play the 49ers in Week Seven. It had to be them, huh? Yeah, it, it just or Week Six had to be them. <laughs> this is, of course, the coulda, shoulda, woulda game now. Yes. We've talked about this. We've only done seven episodes. We've talked about this four or five times already. It's a very important game. But anyway, the coulda, woulda, shoulda game after the game. We'll talk about what happened in the game and let you get to it. But after the game, this is when Jim Mora said, coulda, woulda, shoulda is the difference I'm talking about. The good teams don't come in and say coulda. They get it done. It's that simple. I'm tired of saying coulda, woulda, shoulda. So that was the famous uh, post-game press conference that Jim Mora gave after the game. Run us back about the details of the game. We've kind of talked about it already, but I'm sure you remember well, it was very a pretty well. even game. I mean, the Saints had more yards than them, and um, Ruben Mays rushed for 144 yards. Man, Ruben Mays was good. Yeah, I'm just telling you, he was good. <laughs> and it, I wish he wouldn't have got injured. They had more, you know, well, like 70 or 80 more yards than, than the 49ers in the game. It was a pretty even game all the way. The Saints, you know, it came down to the very end. They're down to – they probably could have got a little closer, but they didn't, and they had to settle for a 52-yard field goal. But we're talking about indoors, in the dome, and Martin Anderson was plenty capable of making a 52-yard field goal, and he missed it. It was sickening. Now, again, they had had that scab game that we just talked about, and they had had two or three really close calls games that they should have blown, and I mean that they should have won the year before, which kept them from having the first winning season in franchise history. And so... I think Morris' statement was good. It's like we got to stop making excuses and feeling sorry for ourselves. Even though we outplay teams, we got to win the games. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought it was good. And, I, you know, I've said it in a previous one. They used to cram us into these little bitty rooms and to, to do the post-game interviews. And I, I think at the time you just felt like, you know, 
you know, I didn't know we'd be talking about this, you know, 40 years later, but, but it was like, man, who would I was, you know, that's going to be on a lot of going to be replayed a lot over the years. Cause it was, it, he said the right thing. And, and I think they got the right message. So the next game, the saints play the Falcons and they crushed their face 38 to nothing. The defense had four sacks and five interceptions. So now you got to be like that, that maybe that, Coulda, woulda, shoulda thing worked. They scored the first four times they touched the ball. And, of course, my reaction, and by the way, the total yards in the game was 411 to 183. It was complete domination. Ruben Mays rushed for 112 yards. Man, he was good. I'm just, I know you don't believe me, but Ruben Mays was good. <laughs> but uh, but uh, you keep looking at me with a skeptical No, I just, I, I, remember, I remember him. He's a good. A little bit. I more remember good. Dalton Hilliard from this era, though. And, and, of course, my reaction was, see, I told you we were going to beat the stupid Falcons in week three, but they, you know, they stole that win from us. Right. So the Saints wouldn't lose another game the rest of this season. Uh, they, they play the Rams next week, 31-14. to 14, And then the, the next game at San Francisco. They By the get- way, the Saints rushed for 232 yards in that game. And we started to see the 1989 version of Dalton Hilliard. Dalton Hilliard had a great year in 1989. And we started to see the 1989 version of Dalton Hilliard in that game. He had he rushed for 92 yards, and he also caught for 84 yards and a 38-yard touchdown. And that was the – you know, Ruben was – he could catch, but Ruben was more of a running bat, and Dalton was a guy who could really do both very well. And so that was, um, that, that was, a, that was a huge game. Against the Rams. Against the Rams. I always did like beating the Rams. Yeah. <laughs> we don't do it enough. <laughs> All right, so let's move to the next game at San Francisco. The Saints win 26-24. Martin Anderson kind of gets a redemption here. He kicks the field goal with under two minutes to go to win the game. This was, uh, uh, and, and I think the last one that we did, podcast that we did, I said that my favorite, very possible, my favorite all-time regular season win was the 2000 win at Cheeto Stick. Well, probably also in the top five, was this 1987 <laughs> win at Cheeto Stick. And, and what was so great about this game, they, the Saints did to them what they did to the Saints so often. So many times, and not just them, not just San Francisco, but a lot of teams in that era, they would Saints would outplay them and then some kind of way blow it at the end. And in this game, the 49ers, clear, the Cheaters clearly outplayed the Saints. The total yards was 402 to 261. But this time... On the road, after the shoulda, woulda, coulda lost to him, where the Saints outplayed him and lost by two, this time the Saints found a way to win. And the big thing that happened was one of the big plays in St. History. Again, some Saints fans, they just don't look at things the way I do. You talk to a Saints fan and you bring up Johnny Poe and you get a big Fremont fan. Johnny Poe, he was terrible. But Johnny Poe was responsible for one of the best plays in St. History. Going to Cheeto Stick that year, he picked up a, a blocked field goal by Reggie Sutton and ran it back 61 yards for a touchdown. Reggie Sutton, by the way, blocked several big kicks this season. He was one of the, he just was really good at blocking punts and kicks. But uh, he blocked the field goal and they returned it 61 yards for a touchdown. So I know Johnny Poe wasn't great, gave up a lot of touchdowns, but this is one of my favorite victories ever. So, Johnny, I'll give him a reprieve for a lot of those touchdowns he gave up. The next week they play the Giants at home in the Dome. Giants were the defending Super Bowl champion. Uh, 85, the Bears won, and then in 86 season, the uh, the Giants won. The Broncos got there after the drive, and they and they, and they beat they won the so Super Bowl. So the Giants Bowl. were really good here. The Giants were – and the Giants were very similar to the Saints. Didn't have a fancy offense, 
but they were great defensively. You know, Lawrence Taylor and all, Harry Carson and, yeah. and and all that bunch. So they were real good. It was a physical game. I remember the game covering it. It was it, it was a physical game. Johnny Poe blocked a punt, and that played a huge role in it. They didn't get a whole lot done offensively. Neither team, you know, the stats were about even. Mm-hmm. It was like a a stalemate. Two good defenses, not a lot of done. And uh, the block punt had a huge part of it. Dave Wehmer had a fumble recovery, so turnovers played a role in in it. And uh, Hilliard Rush had 81 yards receiving. It was just a workmanlike victory between two defensive-oriented teams, and it, it was good. And listen to this. This says a lot about where we are. Again, this is year 21. Saints were, you know, coming of age. And this was that marked the the franchise's first ever four game winning streak. Wow. Like wow. Yeah. Yeah, that says a lot. But Tony, anyway, it was still fun. Tony Galbraith was on that Giants team. Ooh, that's at that time, and probably still is, but I would say my favorite Saint ever. It hurt watching Tony Galbraith play against the Saints. Yes, that was painful. All right, so that sets up the Week 11 game against the Steelers at Pittsburgh. If the Saints win, they will secure their first winning season in team history. And it went down to the very end of the game. Uh, tell us what you remember about the Steelers game. Well, the Saints started a trend here of falling behind in games, and it happened quite a few times uh, late in the year. And they were down 14-3. to uh, The Steelers picked, up a, picked off a pass and ran in for a touchdown. You're down 14-3. to The Saints didn't do very much in that game offensively. It wasn't a great offensive game at all. The Steelers, at the end of the game, got six plays off from inside the Saints' 10-yard line, and they did not score. And if the, and if they had scored, they would have lost the game, and, you know, it would have been frustrating, and, oh, here we go again. Mm-hmm. But they, they had this great goal line stand. But despite getting six plays off from inside the 10, they didn't score. That was fun. I mean, that was, you know – it was like tears, you know. It was like this was emotional, you yeah. know. Beating the Pittsburgh Steelers, goal line stand, you know, all that steel curtain stuff we had heard forever. And this time, the Saints defense had the steel curtain and shut them down and won the game. That was great. Just how I mean, how emotional was like the city, the 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 area, you yourself? I mean, was it just like oh, it was fun? Was it one of those things where because because now I feel like when the Saints win the ninth win their ninth game, we don't really. Think it's a, a victory, but back then it was like, all right, oh, this is this, a, it was big. Yeah. They were not they were eight and three, and it was a there was a little bit of cheese to it because you know forever, well not forever since they went to the sixteen game season, you had to win nine games. But because because they because of the scab games elim or because of the strike eliminating one, it was eight. But still, it was a winning season, and we weren't picky. Again, I was thinking then let these scab guys play. We got a good right, scab team. Right. We might win a Super Bowl. So I wasn't feeling bad. A winning season was a winning season to me. So the fact that you said that, how big was it to get one more win? I mean, they ended up getting four more wins, but how big was it to get that that win against the Bucks? Well, in the you 12? wanted to you wanted to you know make the playoffs, and you felt like you were gonna. Right. And you played a Buccaneer team the next week that was at home, and you know Mark Carrier. A lot of things I remember about that game. It, but the main one, actually, was the great, incredible game Mark Carey had from Church Point. Mm-hmm. Um, played at Nichols. He had 212 yards receiving in the game and lost. Wow. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine catching for over 200 yards and you lose the game? But the Saints had jumped up 38-10 in that game. There was some uneasiness at the end because you're like, we've been waiting for 21 years for this. 
And if you win the game, you go to the playoffs for the first time ever. And you're up 38-10, everybody's dancing, and all of a sudden they couldn't stop carrying and they just kept making big plays. They kept making big plays. And you're like, please say you're not going to blow this. Like, we've blown a lot of games in these 21 years. You cannot blow this. But they didn't. They ended up winning by 10. And um, in that game, Mel Gray had an 80-yard punt return that set him up. So, again, if as you're hearing all these games, got blocked field goals, pick up balls, running in for touchdowns, long punt returns. In that game, just to illustrate my point, the Saints rushed for 117 yards, which is not great, but pretty good. They threw for 248, and they had 266 yards in return yards. Wow. That's how they won a lot of these games. Our The memories of many Saints fans is, oh, it was all about the defense. They just won with the defense. Well, it wasn't all about the defense. They won – with a team, the Saints scored 422 points that year. That ranked second in the NFL in points scored. The Saints gave up 283, which was fifth, but they scored a lot of points, and it wasn't necessarily because they had a fancy offense, although they could run the football. I think they led the, they were either first or second in the NFL in rushing that year because, you know, Dalton could rush the ball and Ruben Mace could rush. They ran the football well, but they were second in point scores, and they did it as a team. This team, the way they blocked five punts that year. So this team did things very similar to how the Patriots won a lot yeah. of their years. Not the Randy Moss year, but the Saints were plus 20. They had 30 interceptions that season. 30. They were plus 20 on the season. That's, a, that's how the Patriots win. They're plus 15. They're plus 18. They're plus 20. I mean, you know, Tom Brady's never had to have, like, minus – turnover ratio because their defense and their special teams are always so good that's how the Saints won that year it wasn't just because they had a great defense although they did and it wasn't that they had a fancy offense because they really did it they won big with team football special teams played a huge role in that season so the Saints are going to the playoffs after the win against the Bucks, but they still have three games to go in the season so what are you thinking during these last three games of the season? I mean, are you just want to you just want to hurry up and get to the playoffs, or did you want to just want to get to the playoffs? But you were trying, you were hoping that, and this happened quite a few times in Saints history. You were hoping that somehow the stupid 49ers would lose, so you wouldn't have to be a wild card team. But they never did. I mean, how many times? What is that? At least three times in Saints history, they won either twelve or thirteen games, and, and were a wild card team. Yeah, because you know whoever did better than them, and Not usually it was the cheaters sickening but 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 before we get to that they beat the Oilers they had two goal line stands in that game and Michael Adams who we talked about they drafted blocked a punt then they fell down 24 to 3 to the Bengals we talked about that in one of the other podcasts Bear got yanked from the game Dave Wilson came in had a really good second half and they ended up winning the game by 17 and then against the Packers they fell down 14 to 3 so that's what, at least three times now in the last four games where they fell behind double digits early in the game and had to come back. And so in that Packer game, Hilliard had a 74-yard kickoff return, Pat Swilling had an interception, and the Saints had 217 more return yards. So that played a huge role in beating that Packers team. So when they got to the playoffs, the Saints actually scored first in that playoff game against the Vikings and it just got crushed. Because we had that recent history of falling down double figures, late in the second quarter, they're down 24 to 10. You don't feel good because they're not really stopping the Vikings. But you had just overcome it, you know, three times in the previous four weeks. So it wasn't total panic until the last play of the first half. Yeah, 44 yards to from Wilson to Hassan Jones to go up 
31 to 10. So, I mean, it's halftime and you're down. Wade Wilson, who we talked about in, in the quarterback podcast, drops back, throws a Hail Mary into the end zone, and Hassan Jones catches it. And it goes from 24 to 10, which is doable mm-hmm. if you get some breaks in the second half, to they hit a Hail Mary at the end of the first half and 50-something yard Hail Mary, and you're down 31-10, and at that point, you're in deep trouble. I mean, I think most Saints fans at that point are thinking, great season, great step four. I mean, how, how, how could you be mad? You just won. You had your first ever winning season, your first playoff appearance. You had won nine in a row. You know, it was so much joy involved because they had so much heartache for the first two decades of the franchise. So you couldn't really be mad. Plus, you just got outplayed. The Saints had zero rushing first downs they were either first or second in the league in rushing that year they could really run the football and they that viking defensive front just dominated them we've talked about this on previous podcasts it wasn't a fluke because they played them the next year and they got dominated and they played them the year after that and they got coldly dominated for whatever reason saints did not match up with that viking team they just got demolished and the saints were better on the line of scrimmage than just about everybody in football 49ers, they they did better than all these teams that they would play. But when they played the Vikings, it just they got completely dominated on the line of scrimmage. It was crazy. It kind of made you kind of hate the Vikings a little bit. <laughs> and in addition to how bad of a game that was, and the Hail Mary and getting dominated, Ruben Mays blows out his knee in the game. Mm. And it's the beginning of the end of his career. He played again, but he just he, and then, and then a, two years after that, he blew out his Achilles, and then his career in New Orleans was over. He tried with Seattle, but he just never. Right. He just Achilles injury and a knee injury, and he, and he was just never the same. So, I mean, that was depressing because you you figure eh, that's going to impact next year, which it did. That's the first winning season in Saints history. The season's over, ends on a bad note. What are you thinking, like heading into the off season, heading into the future? You know, you knew that there were a lot of good teams in the NFC, and by the way. That Viking team then went to Cheeto Stick and beat them by two touchdowns in the next game and then somehow lost to a very mediocre Washington Redskins team. And I think what goes into that is, you know it, we talked about it, when you travel three weeks in a row, you go across the country, that third row game is normally tricky. And they went to Washington after going to Cheeto Stick on the Pacific, you know, they lost. And, And then the Redskins killed the Broncos after the fumble beating the breaking the Browns heart for the second straight year they killed them in the Super Bowl but uh that Viking team was better than that Redskin team I think they just paid the price for having to play three road games in a row when the Saints went back to their regular players and lost that game to the 49ers were you thinking man we should go back to the old ones or oh yeah I was again I ain't proud I know oh scout they wore Saint uniforms when they ran on the field, I was happy. I had a great scab team. I was ready. But, no, they played a good game in the shoulda, woulda, coulda game. And that was just a building That was a building block. Most of the next two years was just they were still good. They had winning. They won 10 games, tied for first place. Mm-hmm. And if they wouldn't have got cheated by um, Fred Silva in that Sunday night game, they'd have won the division and, you know, won 11 games and been going to the playoffs as a division winner. Instead of having to wait till 91, but it just didn't happen. And they had winning seasons the next two years. The next two years was just unbelievable frustration. But it still was fun to be relevant. It still was fun to have a winning team Mm -hmm. and to have this fancy defense and, you know, had good players. And the other thing about this, very different than now, this doesn't impact me at all because 
I don't care if the Saints players are from Singapore. I mean, if, if they're good. But, you know, you had Dalton Hilliard, LSU. Bobby Abear played at Northwestern State, was from cutoff. I mean, he's as Cajun as it gets, you know, accent-wise. And Eric Martin played at LSU. And so, you know, Dalton was from Louisiana. And so, you know, I'm sure LSU fans in that era really enjoyed it as well because, mm-hmm. you know, two of the best offensive players were from LSU. And now, you know, there are a lot of the LSU fans get frustrated by it. So you had a lot of local flavor. And then in the scab team, Joe DeForest, who played for the Cajuns, was on that scab team. Gorlin Jean-Baptiste, who played at St. Martinville and at LSU, was on the scab team. So they had a lot of Louise. There was a lot of Louisiana flavor on the team, and they were winning. So it was just a lot of fun. Anything about 1987 that we didn't touch on that you would want to mention? Any stats, any players, or anything like that? No, I think we kind of hit on everything. The main points that I wanted to get across was that they really did win as a team. Uh, the special teams made a lot of big plays and made a, played a huge role in a lot of those wins. And sometimes we just think it was all about the defense, but it wasn't. Where does the 87 season rank as far as like best Saints teams of all time, best Saints seasons? Where would you rank it? Well, I think the 92 team was better than the 87 team. It was the second best team that the Saints had before 11 and 09. Uh, So I would say it was the second best team of that era. It was lots of fun. Yeah. (laughs) 